This is most certainly true. The Word became flesh. Our Savior God was born a humble baby to set a world of sinners free. He became a person so that He could save people like us. And because He lived and died in our place, now we have a promise of life forever in heaven. Join our celebration of the birth of Jesus with this sermon recently delivered at Grace. In the second reading, the Apostle Paul reminds us in his second letter that Christ's love compels us. These words are the basis for my sermon this morning. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. The alarm bell rang out loudly as ever, filling the bedroom with a shrill sound. It wasn't really needed, though. Tony was already staring at the ceiling deep in thought. It seemed like it had been quite a number of days in a row that Tony's eyes were popping open before the alarm even went off. But the alarm today jostled his aching joints just enough to get his body moving. He slid into his house slippers, tied his plaid robe around his waist, and and without even pausing to press start on the Keurig, he made a beeline for his laptop. He just couldn't wait. Any changes in the Dow Jones? Any of his super-secret, under-the-radar investments change in the last day? Tony was obsessed with these kinds of thoughts. Even that annoying alarm on his phone was actually programmed to be the Wall Street bell. Day after day, he checked the numbers. 
And day after day, week after week, he poured in back-breaking work to the tune of 80 to 90 hours a week, and yes, to the detriment of his family as well. But the thought of a happy, successful, rich life completely consumed Tony. Meanwhile, in a home down the street, Gabriella did not wake up so easily. Her alarm also went off, but she thought in her mind, I just literally can't today. And Gabriella, the normal average teen, just didn't want to do life. But the alarm went off, and so her everyday routine also began. She reached over and grabbed her phone, and immediately she went to Snapchat. What? Only three people slid up all night? That means to post a message and reply to a picture or post. She flipped over to Instagram. Are you kidding me? Only ten people liked my pose and my picture? I spent ten minutes getting just the right pose and just the right words for the caption. Gabriella nearly threw her phone across the room when she switched to TikTok and found only one person liked or commented on her video that she thought was so hilarious. Oh, Gabriella tried so hard. She posed and puckered her lips like all the other teens do in in the pictures, and she went to all the parties, at least the ones that she was invited to, and she even tried things that she otherwise wouldn't, compromising her morals. Gabriella did not really realize it, but the thought of being cool and popular drove her every decision. Meanwhile, while Gabriella and Tony were doing their thing, well, Tina, she had already been up for two hours. Tina was sitting awake and up in her bed in the dark, furiously posting on Facebook. And when I say fury, I mean it. One random blog post or website after another. See, this is why that thing about COVID is totally wrong. One random comment rebuking family and friends after another about why these lives and not these lives matter. One random post to a stranger after another insisting that everything is broken in our country because they don't do this or that, and that's why Mr. So-and-so is hashtag not my president. Tina didn't realize it either. But anger and pride in being right controlled her every thought and post and click. It happens rather easily, doesn't it? Quite quickly, too. Every day, things in our certain lives and contexts can be all-consuming, consuming to the point that they're even compelling and compulsive in our lives. For example, all-consuming greed quickly becomes compelling, even compulsive, in the choices that I make about money. Yes, even good things, too, like a parent's love for their children 
It can turn into parents who become obsessed, all consumed with their children. They morph into these vengeful, spiteful helicopter parents. And God help the child, the teacher, or the coach that ever crosses their little baby. Do you ever stop to think about some of these kinds of things? Do you ever pause to reflect on the things that you do in your life and ask yourself one giant philosophical question? What's my motivation here? Why am I really sharing this article or post on Facebook? Why am I really engaging in this social media banter and discussion argument? Why am I really, really, yelling at an umpire or a referee at a 10-year-old baseball or basketball game? Why don't I communicate with my spouse like I used to, to the tune of our conversation being nothing more than good, fine, okay? Why do I blow my top at my children so often? Why am I so superficially nice with my coworkers, but so secretly evil when I gossip behind their backs? Why am I so convinced that 100% beyond the shadow of a doubt, I am absolutely right about the election or conspiracy or COVID or you name the issue? What's my motivation here? I fear that if we took time to reflect on the things that we think and say and do and post and share and the motivation behind it, I fear we might be utterly embarrassed. How shameful. How shameful that I let greed guide my life and the way I use the gifts that God gives to me, even affecting the way I give to Him and to His church. How awful that selfishness and pride lead me to to argue with my spouse and always try to get the last word in and generally communicate like a preschooler. How deplorable that my online presence and my interactivity consists in nothing more than proving other people wrong and disrespecting whichever president I didn't vote for and telling all those other people who aren't woke why they don't know what's going on in this world. I could continue, but I might be sick in this pulpit with my own shame. Oh, how difficult and how real our struggle with the sinful nature. And oh, how often sin controls and compels what I do. And yet, my friends, that's why we're here today. Church is not the place to go and pretend and put on your Sunday best and put on a show and act like everything's okay on the outside. No, here in God's house and even as we worship at home, we run to the cross. In worship, repentant sinners run to Jesus for healing and help with every ounce and iota of the guilt and shame we bear. And you know, week after week, in worship, 
to our complete surprise and amazing joy, we receive from our God what we least expect or deserve, love. Despite what I've done or said or posted this last week or day or even the last hour, every week we come and worship and we receive from our God not wrath, not anger, not punishment, not death, not even hell, but mercy and grace and forgiveness. Why? Because of God's love for us in Christ. And it's when we become filled with that love of Jesus that we understand what he has done, that our lives begin to change and we have a new, all-consuming focus for our lives that compels us into a new motivation and a new action. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul told us today in the second lesson from 2 Corinthians. Let's take a look again at what Paul said from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again christ's love compels us it guides us it directs us it leads us it's our motivation for everything we do in life why because we're convinced of something Because we know and we've come to believe that one died for all and therefore all died. One person, Jesus Christ, true God and true man, came to this world to be perfect substitute and savior for me, for my anger, my selfishness, my pride, my greed. He came to take on all that I have done and to give me his love and forgiveness and then rose again to prove that I have a new life here with God and hereafter in heaven. And he didn't just do it for me, he did it for you. He did it for all. He died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love is so unending, so life-changing, it becomes compelling. It compels us to live differently, to stop living selfishly, but instead selflessly, to stop living for me, but to live for him and for you. And so what does that look like? To live with a Christ-like love? Well, Paul goes on to tell us in the next verse. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Imagine that. Imagine if we all did this, even if just Christians did this. Could you imagine if we didn't look at other people according to the flesh in in a worldly kind of way, but instead looked at them in a spiritual kind of way? What if we looked at other people and didn't immediately classify them as white or black or brown or indigenous? What if we looked at other people and saw their cars or their clothing and didn't immediately classify them as rich or poor or successes or failures? What if we looked at other people not as ones that I need to engage in argument and debate with and prove wrong for all kinds of reasons, 
But instead, what if we looked at other people as God does, with Christ-like love? What if we see others as human beings created in the image of God with souls that Christ bought back from the depths of hell when he carried their own sin just as he did mine? Does this seem like a figment of your imagination? Does this seem impossible? Well, it's not, because we can and we will do this. Why? Christ's love compels us. Paul goes on to tell more about how this change takes place in our lives. He says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You have a completely new life in Jesus. No matter what you've done or said or posted in your life in the last week, it's washed clean in the blood of Christ. Every day as you wake and put on your plaid morning bath robe, you also put on the robe of Jesus' righteousness. Every day you wake anew in your baptism, washed clean in him, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. All that sin, that guilt, that death, it's gone. The old is gone. The new is here in Jesus. And while again, that might seem impossible to us, we remember it has nothing to do with us. Here's what Paul says. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. All this life-changing stuff is from God. He fixed it all. Paul used the fancy word reconciled. To reconcile means to restore or repair a relationship as if enemies become friends who are now at peace. God reconciled us to himself in Christ. Though we have all that shameful stuff we talked about earlier, that sin that that separates us from God, Christ, at his cross, reconciled us. He made us to be friends, to be children of God, now at peace with him. And not only do we have this reconciliation with God, but now we have a ministry, a service of reconciliation with other people. Now we can look at other people and regard them and serve them in the way that God looks at and loves us. Does it seem impossible? Does it seem something you can't do? Well, it is. Why? Because Christ's love compels us. One more change Paul mentions yet. Not only do we have a change in relationship with God, not only do we serve others, but now we also have something to share with others. Paul says, And God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his special appeal through us. Can you believe that? God loves you. God loves me so much. He didn't only value us with his own life, but now he values us so much that he says, You be my ambassador. You Go share my message. Martin Luther used to say that we are the masks of Christ here in this world. We're little mini-Christs 
running around on planet Earth. That's why you have the name Christian, Christian. What a privilege as I reorient and change my life. The fancy word for that is sanctification. What a privilege that I can be an ambassador of Christ. Other people get to see the love of Jesus in the way that I conduct myself at work. Other people get to see the love of Jesus in what I post and share on social media. Other people get to see the love of Jesus in the ways that I look to unite instead of divide. Other people get to hear the love of Jesus, not from Jesus' lips, but from my lips. What a joy, what a privilege. It might seem tough, it might seem difficult or impossible, but it's not. Because Christ's love compels us. You know, the Corinthian congregation almost 2,000 years ago, they had a lot of problems going on, a lot of problems going on. There were factions and divisions. There was jealousy, horrible immorality. Christians so angry with one another, they were suing each other. Christians who were lazy and apathetic. Christians who thought they were better than other people. Even some who denied some of the biggest things of faith, like Jesus rising from the dead. What a mess! And yet, are things much different today? Does Satan work any differently now? Have these sins not repeated throughout the centuries and generations? And so what, what would Paul say to Christians then and Christians now who have a sinful nature but also a new life of love in Christ? Well, here's what he says as he finishes in verse 20. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a message. Everything that I was and have done was put on to Jesus. And everything that he is and has done was put on to me that I would be the righteousness of God. And so Paul pleads with us. He implores be reconciled to God. Live that new life. And so what if? What if this week, before you opened your mouth, at school, at home, or at work, you thought first about Christ's love? What if, before you clicked send on that scathing email or text, you thought first about Christ's love? What if, in your interactions with people at work, at home, in public, or online, you thought first about Christ's love. Seem impossible? It's not, because all this is from God, God who loved us and reconciled us through Christ. And so, dear friends, live in the peace and the joy of that love of Jesus. Christ's love will. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.